This afternoon I proclaim to you the Word of God as we confess that in Lord's Day 15 of the Heidelberg Catechism. We'll also read together with that Article 21 of the Belgic Confession. But we'll begin with Lord's Day 15. And there we confess the following. What do, you, what do you confess when you say that he suffered? Christ suffered. During all the time he lived on earth, but especially at the end, Christ bore in body and soul the wrath of God against the sin of the whole human race. Thus by his suffering as the only atoning sacrifice, he has redeemed our body and soul from everlasting damnation and obtained for us the grace of God, righteousness, and eternal life. Why did he suffer under Pontius Pilate as judge? Though innocent, Christ was condemned by an earthly judge, and so he freed us from the severe judgment of God that was to fall on us. Does it have a special meaning that Christ was crucified and did not die in a different way? Yes, thereby I'm assured that he took upon himself the curse which lay on me, for a crucified one was cursed by God. And then we turn to Article 21 of the Belgic Confession, page 508 in the Book of Praise. Article 21, the satisfaction of Christ our High Priest. We believe that Jesus Christ was confirmed by an oath to be a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. He presented himself in our place before his Father, appeasing God's wrath by his full satisfaction offering himself on the tree of the cross where he poured out his precious blood to purge away our sins as the prophets had foretold. For it is written, the punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. He was numbered with the transgressors. And condemned as a criminal by Pontius Pilate, though he had first declared him innocent, He was forced to restore what he did not steal. He died as the righteous for the unrighteous. He suffered in body and soul, feeling the horrible punishment caused by our sins. And his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. Finally, he exclaimed, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? All this he endured for the forgiveness of our sins. Therefore, we justly say with Paul that we know nothing except Jesus Christ and him crucified. We consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus our Lord. We find comfort in his wounds and have no need to seek or invent any other means of reconciliation with God than this only sacrifice once offered by which the believers are perfected for all times. This is also the reason why the angel of God called him Jesus, that is, Savior, because he would save his people from their sins. So far, our confessions. Brothers and sisters in the Lord and boys and girls belonging to him. I'm going to begin with a question that actually is already, that's asked in Lord's Day 16. In Lord's Day 16, it's asked, if Christ died for us, why why do we still have to die? 
that's a very good and practical question. But you know, I think a question we ask ourselves more often than that one is actually, since Christ suffered for us, why do we still have to suffer in this life? You could pose that question a different way. What change has the suffering of Christ brought about in this world, in our lives? We live in a world that is changing ever more rapidly, but it hasn't changed for the better since Christ's cross, has it? Wars and conflicts still break out all over the world. You see a new one in the paper every time again. More people than ever are suffering because of that. Terrible crimes are committed, which cause a lot of suffering. And in spite of advances in medicine, there's still a lot of suffering because of diseases, even new ones springing up every time. And, and diseases that spread like wildfire. Think of Ebola in Africa and how that had to be fought. Suffering because of serious injuries due to accidents. Suffering due to mental illness and anguish. Suffering because, for instance, a year ago a plane disappeared and 239 people are gone and no one knows where, what happened to them. And you can imagine that their relatives suffer because of that. Suffering because of anger, disharmony between people in families or groups. What difference has Christ's suffering made to all that and to much more misery that I haven't even mentioned? Has Christ's suffering lessened in any way the suffering in this world? In any noticeable way? Congregation, if we read Bible passages such as the ones this afternoon, for instance, Mark 8, doesn't look good, does it? The Lord Jesus said to his disciples, and he says then, therefore, through his disciples also to us today, whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. And, and a cross is something that causes suffering. People were crucified by the Romans to make them suffer for their crimes so a cross represents suffering and, de and death. So Christians may need to suffer and die as the Lord did. Let him take up his cross and follow me. Peter didn't like to hear that. He rebuked Jesus for telling the disciples that he would suffer many things and be killed. However, Peter did learn the truth of Jesus' words later on, that Jesus would suffer and be killed. And Peter also learned from experience the truth of Jesus' followers also bearing a cross, suffering. He writes 1 Peter 2, which we also read, suffering is actually a calling for Christians because Christ suffered for us leaving us an example that we should follow in his steps. So as we see this afternoon, Christ's suffering has 
changed things for us in this life, but maybe differently than we expected. And I preached to you the gospel then about suffering as calling. First of all, a calling for Christ, and secondly, a calling for us. So suffering is calling for Christ. Brothers and sisters, boys and girls, we confess Lord's Day 15 that Christ suffered all the time he lived on earth, especially at the end. All the time he lived on earth. That's a pretty strong statement. But you have to understand that statement correctly. It doesn't mean that Jesus only knew suffering, pain, sorrow, and trouble every moment of his life here on earth. That's not what that means. No, he, as he was growing up, he he also experienced the love of his mother Mary. And he played and laughed with other children when he was young. He enjoyed good food and so on. He rejoiced in certain things. We even read that in the Gospels. So what that statement means that he, he suffered all the time he was on earth means that his whole life was marked by suffering. It was the purpose of his life as man here. It was his job, you could say. And therefore, from Jesus' birth already on, the hammer and nails were already prepared for his suffering also at the end of his life, especially at the end. Jesus was born to suffer the punishment that lay on us. So when Lord's Day 15 says that Jesus suffered all the time he was on earth, that's not something that we conclude after we read about Jesus' life in the Gospels. No, it's something he came to earth for in the first place. It was the goal of his life, his calling. It was his commission from God, we could say, his Father, which he freely came to fulfill here. That's why on a number of occasions beforehand he told his disciples the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the leaders of the people and be killed and after three days rise again. The Lord Jesus himself gathered that out of the scriptures. He knew what he had come. As he matured, he realized this is what I'm here for. Must suffer. He said, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the leaders of the people and be killed and after three days rise again. Mark 9, 31. Must suffer. That didn't mean that that suffering was something he only took on because, well, it was something he couldn't avoid or because he, he, he could have escaped it but didn't didn't know how. No, he could have. He could have escaped it. He could have avoided drinking that cup of suffering. But he accepted it willingly as his calling. He came to save sinners. And that's what was needed for that. It was the will of his Father which he came to fulfill. His purpose. We often can have a hard time with all the suffering that goes on in the world, right? 
we can ask ourselves why. Why, if you see what happens there in Syria, for instance, the suffering, why? Why does God allow such awful things to happen to those people? And we see somebody kneeling there and someone behind him, a jihadist with a knife in his hand, going to saw off his head, suffering. And sometimes we have to deal with difficult things that we have a hard time to accept too. Why am I given this? Why why does this happen to me? What did I do to deserve this? We often end up suffering because of our own wrong choices or because of what other people do to us, their wrong choices. But ultimately, ultimately all suffering is our collective sin and guilt that lies at the root of all suffering, the sin and guilt of the whole human race because of our collective fall into sin. Jesus Christ, however, he wasn't part of that collective guilt. He suffered innocently, completely innocently. Because of his holy conception by the Holy Spirit, he had no share in the guilt of the human race. He suffered innocently, was innocently condemned and put to death on an accursed cross. He was the only person ever who did not deserve to suffer and die. But that's exactly what intensified his suffering more than we can understand. As the gospel show, he had never committed a single sin. Even Pilate, you know, Pilate had him there. Pilate the judge had him in front of him and he pronounced him innocent on a number of occasions. Oh yes, Jesus said he was the son of God, but that was no crime. During the course of Jesus' trial before him, Pilate said at least three times, I find no fault in this man. I find no evil in him. What has he done wrong? And when then he realized, when he realized that there was no way he could get out of condemning this man innocently to death, he washed his hands in front of them all. Tried to distance himself Excuse himself by doing that. Because he knew, I'm I'm condemning an innocent man. No, Jesus was innocently condemned to death. And Peter, who was an eyewitness of everything that happened to Jesus, also at his trial and afterward, he remembered everything later on, and he wrote it in his first letter to the churches in Asia Minor in Turkey as we read together earlier on about how, how he suffered willingly, Jesus suffered willingly and only treated his judges and torturers and executioners respectfully. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return, Peter writes. He saw that. Yeah, Peter denied him. But Jesus never reviled those who were reviling him, spitting on him, slapping his face pressing that crown of thorns on his head. He, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten. But he committed himself to him who judges righteously. He didn't say, well, I'm going to get you later. No. Just simply was silent and committed his life into the hands of God. He committed himself 
his life into the hands of the Roman ruler Pilate then, who he recognized as the authority on behalf of God. And he submitted himself willingly to Pilate's death sentence as the death sentence pronounced by God against our sins. As we confess in Lord's Day 15, answer 38, though innocent, Christ was condemned by an earthly judge. That was a completely wrong and unjust judgment by Pilate. It it was legal murder. But behind that earthly judge, the Lord Jesus saw the highest judge who justly judged our sins in him and who in Pilate condemned him to death on an accursed cross in our place. And that's also why Peter writes 1 Peter 2, 24, that he himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree. Brothers and sisters, boys and girls, doesn't that make you amazed and uh, deeply thankful, grateful as you, you think of Christ's sufferings? He did that for you and me. He did it for you and me. As it says, Article 21 of the Belgian Confession, he suffered in body and soul, feeling the horrible punishment caused by our sins. Peter describes it so wonderfully. He himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness by whose stripes you were healed. In Christ's suffering, we find our salvation. The Apostle Paul writes, Colossians 2, that Jesus erased the certificate of debt that was against us by nailing it to the cross in himself. It was as if all our sins were written on Jesus and he was nailed to that cross and that was our debts which were cursed in him. He paid fully all our debts before God with his suffering and death on the cross. And you see, that's the wonderful heart of our Christian faith. God forgives all our sins because of the suffering and death of his son. He was called to do that for you and me. And therefore, we don't have to achieve our own righteousness before God. He obtained it for us. We don't have to suffer that because he suffered it for us, that punishment. And so we can love and serve God in joyful thankfulness without the pressure of somehow trying to make things right with him ourselves. What a comfort to be able to confess that. No wonder it says, Article 21 of the Belgian Confession, we find comfort in his wounds, in Christ's wounds. Find comfort in his wounds. But if we do find our comfort in those wounds, we'll also want to follow our Lord Jesus Christ. And that brings us to the second part of the sermon this afternoon, suffering as our calling. So what we just saw in regards to Christ's suffering makes that original question all the more pressing, right? If Christ suffered for us, why must we still suffer? What difference does it make for us that Christ suffered for us? It seems as if we're not any closer to answering that question, does it? Because we still suffer. 
But it does answer the question. It's true that this world remains a world where all kinds of suffering and sorrow are still pretty common. A world in which people struggle with all kinds of trouble. Faith in Christ doesn't cure all your diseases or or injuries here, doesn't heal all pain on the inside, doesn't prevent you from, from suffering. No, faith in Christ may even mean that you suffer more than you would without your faith. Peter writes about that in his letter to those persecuted believers in Asia Minor. They were suffering for doing good, for showing Christian Patience and love and compassion, that was, that was confusing to those new Christians. You know, they were thinking, well, I thought that being a Christian would give me some peace, would make my life better. But I end up suffering more because of my faith. Why do, why do I need to suffer yet? Am I being punished for something I did yet? Well, brothers and sisters, boys and girls, what a comfort it is that we may believe that whatever believers suffer in this life is never punishment for their sins for past sins sometimes we think that that when we suffer then it must be because God is punishing me for something I did in the past but if you in true repentance have brought your sins to Jesus who suffered the full punishment for sins and you've asked forgiveness through his suffering then your sins are forgiven and you are not suffering for your sins. And then you can live in the assurance that whatever suffering you have to deal with in this life, even death itself, is not a punishment for your sins. No, Christ has removed the sting of all suffering and of death. So something has actually changed now that Christ has come and suffered for us. If you do good, and then maybe even because of that end up suffering, it's not because God is against you, but because he's for you. And that might sound strange. That doesn't seem to match how we experience things. If God is is for me and loves me in Christ, why would he still let me suffer pain? Why do I still suffer in sorrow? Why does he let me struggle with trouble and why do I still have to die? Well, for one thing, in the Bible, never, God never promises that a believer's life is going to be a nice, all-inclusive vacation here. No, it's more like one of those survival shows where people are dropped in difficult environments where they're required to give up things and struggle and keep on going until they're picked up again. That's more like the believer's life, congregation. Listen again to how the Lord Jesus describes it. Mark 8, whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Now think about that. Jesus pictures following him on a journey, following him. You follow him somewhere. But that journey is one in which he, as it were, goes before you. And how does he go before you? With blood dripping off his back and carrying his cross. And when you follow him then you take up your own cross 
and walk or even crawl behind him denying yourself and confessing him as the love of your life. Where he's going, I will go. And that means not being ashamed to say that the, the person you're following is that one dragging his cross to Golgotha. Denying yourself means being willing to give up your own pride and respect in order to serve him and in order to serve others as he did. It means letting yourself be looked down on and despised and rejected because of him. It means even letting others revile you without reviling them in return. It means letting others cause you suffering without resorting to threatening It means being willing to be the least and let others go before you. It means accepting suffering. So following Jesus is not not an easy cakewalk here. If you think I can do that, no problem. Follow Jesus. You're tremendously overestimating and fooling yourself because that kind of lifestyle doesn't come natural to us at all. On the other hand, if you think, I'll never be able to be like that. I'll never be able to follow him like that. You're underestimating the immense power of the cross of Jesus Christ. For he doesn't only say, follow me and do what I do. No, he says, follow me and I'll pull you along with me. I'll take you with me. And notice what that suffering with and because of Christ is about, congregation. Check out 1 Peter 4 verse 1. Therefore, Since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same mind, the same mind, same way of thinking. For he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. Ceased from sin. And now Peter certainly doesn't mean to say that believers who suffer, maybe also for the sake of Christ, but not exclusively, but believers who suffer never sin anymore. They stop sinning. No, What he's saying, if you look at the context, is that such a person has ceased being controlled by sin, by his sinful desires. Those sinful desires remain, certainly, but they no longer have hold on you as they did before. Through suffering, in faith, you start to let go of your egotism, your pride, your stubbornness, your envy, You start to let go of your sinful nature. You start to leave it behind as you take up your cross and follow Christ. That's why the suffering. So you can leave that behind. More and more. You start to heal as you carry that cross. As you deny yourself. As you suffer in the footsteps of Christ you start to leave that sinful nature behind. And that's why the Apostle Peter says, 1 Peter 3 verse 9, that Christians are called to suffer. Called. It's your calling. That doesn't mean that you're not, no, that doesn't mean that you're telling you to go out and look for suffering. And that you look for pain and that you desire trouble and sorrow to come over you. No. Suffering remains something that we're not going to ask for. No one takes up a cross like that with pleasure. But 
as long as the Lord Jesus has not returned in glory yet, there will be suffering. It will be there. And as followers of Christ, we should avoid that suffering when it comes. We shouldn't avoid that suffering when it comes. We shouldn't compromise our faith in order to escape suffering. No, just take up your cross and follow Christ. Follow our Savior who suffered for us. And then, congregation, we start to leave sin behind. It starts to fall off of us. And you realize then that the main issue isn't even why we still suffer. Why we still suffer in this life. The main issue is whether we also take up our cross and follow Christ when suffering comes to us. The main thing is that we take Christ as our example when we suffer. And that we let his spirit help us to mature in faith and its fruits through our suffering. But taking up our cross and following Christ and suffering as he did. Then Christ is glorified in our suffering. And then we're prepared through that suffering to be with him in his eternal kingdom. And he won't be ashamed of us when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels then. Amen. Let us pray. Lord, thank you for Jesus Christ who was willing to humble himself and become one of us and to take on the calling in his life to suffer for us in order to redeem us from the punishment that lay on us because of sin. Help us, Father, in thankfulness for his work than to also heed his call to follow him, to deny ourselves and follow him, to suffer in his steps, to suffer here in order to become more mature and ready and faith for his glory, to accept that as something that brings us closer to him. Help us to accept that suffering in that light whenever it comes upon us. For as Peter said, whoever suffered in the flesh, especially also for Christ, has ceased from sin, is no longer under the full control of sin, Lord, help us to remember that always, especially when we suffer or when we see others suffer. In Christ's name we pray, amen.